A small, rather smart, well-sprung, four-wheeled carriage with a folding top drove through the gates of an inn of the provincial town of N. It was the sort of carriage bachelors usually drive in, retired lieutenant colonels, majors, and landowners with about a hundred serfs. In short, all those who are described as gentlemen of the middling station of life. The gentleman in the carriage was not handsome, but neither was he particularly bad-looking. He was neither too fat nor too thin. He could not be said to be old, but he was not too young either. His arrival in the town did not create any great stir, nor was it marked by anything out of the ordinary. Only two Russian peasants standing at the door of a public house opposite the inn made certain remarks, referring, however, more to the carriage than to the gentleman in it. Lord, said one of them to the other, what a wheel. What do you say? Would a wheel like that, if put to it, ever get to Moscow, or wouldn't it? It would, all right, replied the other. But it wouldn't get to Kazan, would it? No, it wouldn't get to Kazan, replied the other. That was the end of the conversation. Also, as the carriage was driving up to the inn, a young man happened to walk past wearing very narrow and very short white canvas trousers, a swallowtail coat with some pretensions to fashion, disclosing a shirt front fastened with a pin of Tula manufacture in the shape of a bronze pistol. The young man turned round, took a look at the carriage, held on to his cap, which a gust of wind nearly blew off his head, and went on his way. When the carriage had driven into the courtyard, the gentleman was met by a servant of the inn, or a floorman, as waiters are called in Russian inns, who was so lively and restless that it was quite impossible to make out what sort of face he had. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Vin LeBate. And I'm your other host, Ben Blackberg. And tonight we're talking about the first page of Dead Souls by Nikolai Gogol, published in 1842. And our guest tonight is Roy Yannick. Welcome to the show. Hello. Happy to be here. <laughs> yes, this is a long time coming. Yeah, you wouldn't think it'd be hard to schedule three people, but we managed to drag it out for months. Yep. Yeah. And of course, we had to have you because uh, you are a big uh, Gogol fan, right? Uh. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of uh, Gogol's. Uh, my favorite is probably Wembley because I relate to him the most, but Gogol Fraggle is also <laughs> a good Fraggle. So, you know, big Gogol fan. I'm partial to those little guys. What are they, the Bulgakovs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're definitely the working class, whatever that is. Mm. All right. Gosh, why, why has there never been a a, a Muppets uh, War and Peace? Or, like, they do so many classics of literature. Why not the great Russians? Mm. Actually, I would bet that there's probably a sketch on the Muppet Show somewhere. Yeah. Of at least, like, Dr. Zhivago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, more likely it's on Sesame Street. They take mm. some big swings sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of things on Sesame Street where I'm just like, like oh, you're gonna need like uh, an adult to, like they they did a Mad Men parody, and I'm just like, <laughs> you know, like it's all them having emotions, which is great, but like, <laughs> like you just had like, why are there men sitting around a table in suits? It's like, well, it was the '60s; it was a different time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, talking about Muppets doing crime and punishment to me, that sounds like. Uh, something Jim Henson would have tried to do had he lived longer. Mm -hmm. And then he would have been like 
surprised and dismayed and depressed that it wasn't a huge smash hit (laughs) when like his entire entourage is telling him the entire time like i don't know jim this isn't gonna work and he's like i think it's gonna work Mm. and then it doesn't uh this is very far afield does anyone know if uh jim henson and mr rogers had any relationship did they know each other at all i have no idea it just seems like i mean there are hundreds of fan fiction stories that will uh, attest to the <laughs> oh, fact Lord. that they did. Yes. I'm sure they're just working at a coffee shop together, right? That's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're raising an adopted child together. <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, not that I've looked forward to Reddit or anything. Uh, well, speaking of reading. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Have you guys read any uh, Gogol? Or what is your relationship to Gogol in general or in, and Dead Souls in particular? Pass. <laughs> um, so I think Ben and I were in the same class, the same Gogol class in college. Is that correct? Was it uh, the Russian Fantastic? Yes. Uh, and for for bonus points, do you remember who taught it? Lindsay Watton. Ah. Uh, oh, how linked, is Lindsay? I believe. <laughs> uh, I believe he passed a few years ago. <laughs> oh, I hadn't heard. Yeah, so we've I've read a bunch of the short stories, and I know Dead Souls mostly by, you know, reputation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was a class where I, I think I took it on the title alone, mm-hmm. the Russian Fantastic. Yeah, it's great, great title. And then it was like maybe a little disappointed that it was just about like two writers, one of whom was a little more surreal, uh, and the other of whose work, like I think we just read. Well, I don't know. Uh, I have a copy of Heart of the Dog, or Heart of a Dog. Yes, we read Heart of a Dog and Master and Margarita. Yes. Mm. I believe believe I saw on IMDb that uh, Baz Luhrmann is making a Master and Margarita film in the next couple of years, which sounds amazing to me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I have read Master and Margarita. Is that Gogol? Uh, that's Bulgakov. That's Damn other it. Damn it. <laughs> and, and, and also, I think, a, a great contender for uh, another Muppet movie. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. So none of us have read uh, Dead Souls. I wonder if any of us have seen any of the movies based on his... Wasn't there just a, 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 a movie version of The Nose? Was there? Uh, uh, I, I could have sworn there was... Maybe maybe it was the overcoat. Maybe there's a there's a stop motion, but I could have sworn, right? Yes. Uh, remind me, uh, who's the Hobbit who lives in our town? Uh, the Hobbit who lives in our town. <laughs> I mean, the actor. Uh, oh, Elijah Wood. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure they're from England if they're from anywhere, <laughs> and I'm not sure what they're up to currently. Yeah. Well. I don't know. Is there a, uh, is there another work that I should uh, always associate with him? I mean, other than the video or the there, there's there's one picture of him uh, riding a scooter uh, around town that someone who I follow uh, on Twitter likes to post. But oh right, yeah, hmm. people love that photo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I would I would associate him primarily with uh, Lord of the Rings at this point. But yeah. you know, he's been in lots of things. Yeah. No, I think I may be making this up. Okay. 
So speaking of things that are made up. (laughs) (laughs) Just to pull the uh, curtain, you know, back for a moment, I'd like to point out that I was specifically told I did not have to do any research for this. (laughs) Oh, no, you definitely don't. Oh, no, no, It's making me very uncomfortable that I have not. So, uh, oh, um, no, no, my best. I've never heard of Gogol. I've never heard of Dead Souls. I have randomly listened to an audio book of Master and Margarita. Uh, So Mm -hmm. when you said Russia and surrealism, I was like, I wonder if that falls. And then you said it. And I was like, yes, I've been in in the same sphere of as this type of literature. Uh, Yeah, that's good. Yeah, they're definitely adjacent. Yeah. And and uh, and also uh, uh, this is definitely I think I mean, I like to go in. Well, no, I rephrase that by actually saying a sentence. That is complete. <laughs> um, you know, part of the premise of our podcast is just like, if you read the first page, like if you just mm-hmm. found this in a cabin uh, in the woods, uh, <laughs> would you would you read like the second page? Also, why are you in a cabin? I know there's a, I, this is at this. This is asked a lot of questions that I'd now have to answer. <laughs> I think I probably would read the next page of any book I found if I was in a cabin in the woods, because. I'd either be bored or terrified, and <laughs> both of those would recommend me reading a book to escape a little bit. So, mm-hmm. but if there were several books, yes, and I read this first page, yeah, I would probably continue reading uh, this book to mm-hmm. answer that question. <laughs> or should I have teased that out till the end? <laughs> no, no. I mean, uh, uh, how about you, Vin? How did you like this first page? Coming in with I like slightly it. more. A relationship with Gogol. Yeah, like I like Gogol, and this this definitely has his style, even if it's uh, slower to weirdness than most of his short stories, which usually uh, mm-hmm. get weird right off the jump. Like it's sort of odd seeing something in his style that reads like the first page of a novel. Mm-hmm. All right, and is it? It's the first page of a novel, right? So it's this is a longer. So you're used to his short stories? Yes. Cool. This was his last novel, possibly his only novel. And it's debatable whether it's unfinished, apparently. (laughs) Because he declared that it was going to be a series of three. And shortly before his death, he burned the second part. And the first part ends in the middle of a sentence. Great. But it's Gogol, so it's it's arguable whether that (laughs) constitutes complete or not Mm -hmm. so that leads me to the first thing that really jumped out at me which is it says the provincial town of in and i wasn't sure if in was a translator being lazy or if it was (laughs) gogol's deliberate choice to just refer to the town as in or uh or something else any any knowledge there or or assumptions there's there's a certain like vintage of novel in the like Victorian Edwardian era. I feel like we've probably done one or two of these already mm-hmm. that just refer to a town by its first initial. And I've never known why mm. I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's some scholarship that like, I'm sure someone could just tweet it at me right now, mm-hmm. but I don't know why that is. It's, it's a thing that's done. Yeah. Yeah. That also happens with like people's names a lot. Mm. And I was always under the impression that that was to give the work an air of authenticity. Like, I can't mention the full name because they'll sue me or right. want to duel me. Mm. Something something like that. But it is a very 
it, 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 it's a convention of the time. Yeah. Is it a way of saying like, this could be any town that starts with N in Russia? Yeah. 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 It's either that or it's, this is, you know, that town, you know what it is. It starts with N, <laughs> but I'm not going to say it because I don't want to stir up shit. I got you. <laughs> like, I think half the time it's meant to be anonymous and half the time it's meant to be winky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of fits with the rest of this first page, too, where he's deliberately vague on it seems very detailed at first. And then you realize that uh, he's playing with the fact that it's super that some things are super vague, like the mm-hmm. description of the person in the carriage is neither handsome nor particularly bad looking, fat or thin. It's like he's saying all the things that he's not mm-hmm. and he's just saying he's average. Yeah. Like the person, yeah. the only person who's really described with any great detail is the the slight dandyish person who mm-hmm. you know uh, gets their cap almost blown off by a gust of wind. They're described in some detail, but the yeah. peasants and the guy are not. Yeah, and that's that's a very classically Gogol move, is to like have a main character or an important figure, and essentially describe them as nothing and no one. Yeah. <laughs> Which can kind of make them every person mm-hmm. if they're going for that. Yeah, or but also like a non-entity, which is something he likes to play with. Yeah. Or like because it's Russian literature, also possibly the devil. <laughs> oh, interesting. Either one of these two figures could be the devil. Yeah. <laughs> if you ask me. Yeah. I do like, there, there's one thing. Uh, I I love this, this, this first page. I just like, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to keep reading. Yep. Um, I don't know. I just love, Exactly the thing that you you pointed out, Roy, that like some things are like so meticulously described and just a bunch of other things are like, eh, like, we'll get to that. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why I just thought it was very funny when the carriage gets like five yeah. descriptions uh, and, and like, you know, it, and the, the young man was ridiculous. I just like, I like wrote down everything that was written about him. And it was, <laughs> it was like, I don't know. I just I love that he he turns around he takes a look he holds onto his cap and then he goes on his way mm-hmm. like none of his actions actually matter to the story yeah like he did not stay long enough to see uh, what happens or interact in any way but like we know the pistol shape of his pin yeah so being experts on Russian literature of this <laughs> stripe mm-hmm. uh, uh, do you think that young man will ever turn up again in the story it's a fifty fifty shot yeah <laughs> honestly. <laughs> He's either one of the most important characters or this is the only mention ever. Because I will say, like, on my first read, I thought that he was the nefarious character in this story. That he might be the devil or not. I didn't think devil, but like some sort of spy or someone with an agenda. But now that you've said like, oh, the guy in the carriage might be, that's making a lot more sense to me because... It's that gust of wind that nearly blows the young man's cap off. It's kind of like the guy rides in on this carriage. You can't really get a beat on him. And like he brings an ill wind with him, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. So now I'm now I'm kind of flipping on who I think is uh, <laughs> is nefarious in this first page. Yeah. Well, that's that, that's what I kind of like about this first page that like I feel like Gogol is having fun with like, like, what should you pay attention to? You know, like. Like if, if he was a camera operator on a film, it would be like focus on one thing and then like drift over to something else that was in focus. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, is this the story? You're like, no, the story's over here. Maybe. It definitely seems like that. And because you brought up the Muppets right out of the gate, or I did, I guess, by referring to Gogol as Gogol Fraggle, 
now I can't help but think of Muppet Christmas Carol and Scrooge coming in uh, and kind of like a cold wind is following him. Mm-hmm. And the camera is doing exactly that thing. It's like panning to people or Muppets on the street, like reacting to him, mm-hmm. you know, and then cutting back. So, you know, this is basically a precursor to Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, I think it does sort of center around class issues and like a rich guy who is kind of sketchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the one thing I know about dead souls is that the term dead souls refers to a like bureaucratic situation where someone has died, but they're like essentially their paperwork isn't filed. So someone can like own their sort of personage because they, you know, go through some bureaucratic shenanigans. And I believe that's part of the central conceit of what goes on here. Mm -hmm. But that is all that I know. Interesting. So speaking of wealth, the first thing that jumped out at me, so I don't know what Gogol's tone is, and maybe you can tell me. Like, at first I was reading this as, like, a very dry satire. Uh, I don't know if that has any bearing on what he's actually like. But, and the reason for that is his freaking description of, you know, these bachelors who drive in, you know, lieutenant colonels, majors, landowners with about 100 serfs. You know, and then he describes them as gentlemen of the middling station of life. I'm like, a hundred serfs? <laughs> Either I don't have an understanding of Russian society around this time, or he's deliberately being tongue-in-cheek here, which I assume is the case. Uh, but it definitely stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, that definitely... Uh, I, I would describe him... I mean, he, he, he I think, has a, a, a pretty wide range from, like... Uh, somewhat realistic to dry satire to uh very wet satire Mm, yeah like you can be reading a dry satire for a couple of pages and then it will just go completely off the rails like i feel like something like the nose at least for a couple paragraphs starts out like you know actually maybe the nose jumps right into it (laughs) but even still like it's set in this very like it's kind of kafka-esque where like even when bizarre things are happening it's still against this background of dry day-to-day social commentary essentially so like the nose is a story about a man whose nose leaves his face and decides to become its own person great but it's still about him and the nose trying to navigate like society (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i I could certainly lend you uh my my college book uh anthology of his stories which again reading this first page made me want to revisit Mm -hmm. but i also want to point out just one 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 thing that's funny to me reading this uh and one joke that i really like and i'm not sure exactly like it's always a question of like it was this gogol is this the translator like where does this come from but the first thing i wanted to point out is uh the (laughs) the description of those peasants as being russian um (laughs) That just, I don't know, it just made me laugh. Uh, not on purpose. I, I, uh, I just kind of thought, like, why why are they being described as Russian peasants? Like, shouldn't we know that they are Russian peasants? Yeah, well, he does that later on, too, when he says uh, a floorman, as waiters are called in Russian inns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's as if this is being written for an international audience. Mm-hmm. 
Although it did, had knowing absolutely nothing about what I was reading, it did for a fleeting moment make me think, what if this story isn't set in Russia? (laughs) And then it's particularly funny that there are two Russian peasants hanging out (laughs) by an inn and they're still measuring things in distance to Moscow and Kazan. Yeah. uh, And they're, but they're, you know, they're in like, they're in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're, they're at a, a bistro. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, is bistro a Russian word? Anyway, uh, we'll put a pin in that. Uh, but the other joke, and again, don't know if it's a joke exactly, but when the, one of the peasants starts out a sentence saying, Lord, said one of them to the other. And I was like, oh, like, this is going to be a big thing. And then, <laughs> then his observation is, what a wheel. <laughs> I don't know, just like that, that, like, for me, that was a, a little bit of comic deflation that I really enjoyed. Uh, but then I checked again. I don't know Russian, so I cannot say for sure, but I just looked at some other translations and one of them just says, look at that carriage. Uh, and the other translation says my eye, which is a, like a, a, another sort of standard exclamation, right? Mm. Which kind of fits with Lord, but yeah. Yes. So, uh, there goes my pretensions to knowing Russian literature, Roy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You had to learn this way. Oh, it's all right. Uh, you know, I did. I I just broke your rule, and I did some research just now, and I looked up the distance between Kazan and Moscow, and it's like five hundred and thirty miles, which makes their conversation hmm. for the time even more ridiculous. It's like, you know, would it get to Moscow? Oh yeah, sure. But would it get to Kazan? Uh, no. It's like most of the way. You know, it's like a very very long ways away. Uh. You know, I think you'd need a closer landmark if you're going to make some uh, some sort of judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The thing that I like that struck me about this peasant conversation, particularly when you were just reading it just now, is that this is the beginning of an episode of King of the Hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I I, uh, uh, I made a joke when we were trying to schedule this about how I was going to do their accents as uh, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I don't know. Yeah, maybe I should have done that. I'll, I'll try that for the. That'll be the outro, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. But yes. No, I, 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 I don't know. I really like this. Definitely feels like I could use cliff notes, maybe or uh, annotations, rather. Yeah. Oh, what the hell? Cliff notes. Let's go all the way. Like, like uh, a pin of Tula manufacture. I don't know what where Tula is. I bet it's fancy. Or, or or what it would mean that this pin is in the shape of a pistol. Like, does that mean he's a student or like he, he belongs to something? Or is it just like just what he bought? Uh, and again, like, does it even matter uh, to the story? Mm. Does it? Yeah, I know. Now I'm still trying to place the mysterious town of Inn. And I realized from my earlier extrapolation that, oh, yeah, it could be between... Moscow and Kazan (laughs) anywhere (laughs) and who knows what the terrain is like so really I've gotten no closer to solving this mystery and maybe their conversation is totally reasonable Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and it's Uh, probably the least important thing because he deliberately obscured the name of the town well I mean it's kind of funny because it's like they're the peasant conversation kind of mirrors our conversation in that like they are talking about what they know Mm -hmm. like how do we get from one place to another especially also like when you mentioned like I had to look up just now, like where Kazan was. Uh, and then I had to look up Ilya Kazan to try to figure out if there was a connection there. And it doesn't seem like mm-hmm. there is, but okay. Uh, but like, these are just like two peasants 
like used to theoretically or probably used to carting their goods or their 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 agricultural products right so they know what a wheel is and how it does and we're like we're in the same position of like not knowing anything like we don't know who's in the carriage we don't know where kazan is like uh we don't know that uh uh waiters are called floor men in russian inns mm-hmm. uh oh that was another thing sorry i'm jumping all over but uh the the fact that the guy in the carriage is described as like not old and not young like he, he gets all those no mm-hmm. uh yep. or negative descriptions and then the waiter also gets like no description but he gets he gets no t- description in this like positive way in a way mm-hmm. like because he's so lively and restless uh and i just thought that was interesting like yeah like everything is being described here even the things that are indescribable except for this one guy totally it's yet another character who is uh who is obscured but we are told in detail why they are obscured uh and that reminds me of like lovecraft where it's like he'll go on at length about how something is unknowable and it's like okay but you just spent three pages telling us that you know yeah like like uh to 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 tie this together i feel like i know what muppet would play this waiter <laughs> whereas i i still don't know what muppet would play the the guy in the carriage <laughs> gosh should should the russian peasants be statler and waldorf probably uh, they're not being they're not being bitingly sarcastic as far as yeah i guess they are when they say what a wheel they could easily be <laughs> saying it with with the uh joyful vitriol of statler <laughs> and waldorf they're also very purposefully ignoring the main action yeah yeah <laughs> to talk about something that they want to talk about yeah so uh Ben, you you said something really important that i don't want to gloss over you said you knew what muppet would play the floorman what muppet would play the foreman well when i think like lively and restless but also uh impossible to make out oh this is actually okay uh i was thinking um uh beaker yeah he's a very strong face so of course it goes against the uh the text here but like Mm. I just see him running around a lot. It's Beaker or Scooter, I would say. Okay. But Scooter, at least <laughs> as far as I remember, this is something we're now comfortably in my area of expertise. So mm-hmm. part of me while I expound upon this, uh, Scooter is pretty unflappable. He doesn't get stressed out a lot, especially in the in the Muppet show. He's uh uh he he's he's very organized because he's basically a gopher. Mm-hmm. And um I feel like it might actually be Kermit, even though this is a random character, because Kermit in the Muppet show and and often is the one who is like feels like they're in charge and stressed out and trying to wrangle everything and barely holding it uh, together. Uh, Yeah, but there are a lot of anxious Muppets, so it really can't be any number. (laughs) Really depends on who you need in a different role. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking for the gentleman in the carriage. It could also be, it could just literally be a generic Muppet because mm-hmm. there were those ones they would just throw mm-hmm. stuff on. But also like Bunsen, uh, it's a, is kind of like, mm. I feel like he has this English gentleman look about him, but he's also very nondescript. Well, even yeah. though it doesn't really suit the part, probably. Well, no, I, 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 I like that because Bunsen to me also has a, a certain diabolical edge to him. Mm-hmm. He does. Like there's something about how like nonchalant he is about putting other people in harm's way, uh, and then the young man in the street is probably played by a human. <laughs> That's my uh... see. I would I would go with Bean Bunny. 
But then that's because I think Bean Bunny is underused. <laughs> he's great. And he's one of my favorite parts of uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. I think mm. he really he acts he really acts the shit out of that. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what cuss words, but he really acts well in that. <laughs> yeah, cuss away. Yeah, we have to do uh, take a, a second Sweet. take on that. Um, <laughs> wait, uh, uh, before before inevitably, uh, I, I I bring in uh, Melville. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you guys feel about uh, the the show? Uh, I think it was probably on early '90s. Uh, what was it called? The Jim Hansen Hour. Oh yeah. So like half of it would be Muppet TV and half of it would be the storyteller usually. Yeah. Except for the storyteller was great. Yeah, I have very fond memories of like catching bits of it, but it was always hard to find because those were the days of broadcast TV. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it had a really consistent time slot where I was. Mm. So like I was always chasing it down. Yeah, uh, I don't have I have zero memory of Muppet TV, but I recently watched a special on it and it looked like it was a hot mess. So <laughs> Storyteller Storyteller is great, especially because like Jim Henson was always wanting to do more serious stuff. And every time he tried, people didn't want him to do it. <laughs> and and then he got sad. And so the storyteller, I felt like, is was his probably most successful mm. foray into the puppet the puppet arts as he wanted them to uh, progress. <laughs> oh boy, this is uh, uh, the tragedy of Jim Henson. Uh, it is. It really is. Yeah, like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth were both his like. He was really putting his heart and soul into those. And despite the fact that they're classics now, like they were not well received at the time, you know, I'm a little surprised. I mean, I, I didn't know that about Labyrinth. Uh, I feel like I knew that about Dark Crystal. Like I might be wrong. I don't think either of them got like the kind of promotion that they would have needed to be really big. Mm. Again, I could also be wrong. Oof. Uh, Labyrinth. Uh, reportedly cost twenty five million. Uh, made twelve point nine. Yeah, there you go. Mm. Uh, it was Jim Henson's first, uh, first feature film that he directed. Hmm. Yes. So, uh, Herman Melville. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, wait a minute. So, who who directed The Dark Crystal? Oh, it was uh, Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Yeah. Okay. Wait, Roy, are you like? Uh, I don't know, on a scale of one to 10, how big a fan are you of Jim Henson's works? Uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, pretty up there. Like, is, why do you ask? Is, is there anything that you haven't seen? That's a bad question. Uh, how would you know? Uh, yeah. are, are there any gaps that you haven't filled yet? Yeah, I haven't seen any of his like experimental, like, uh, I've only seen clips of his experimental, like pre Muppet work. Mm-hmm. Where there's like a clock ticking and he's like running in big feet or something. <laughs> and I haven't haven't like I haven't done a deep dive into like his uh you know pre Muppet like talk show appearances. And there's a number of Muppet specials I probably haven't gotten around to watching. Mm-hmm. The ones that aired on TV and just like uh disappeared. Like I remember seeing a Muppet uh Wizard of Oz and I don't mm-hmm. can't really find it anywhere and i remember watching it live and it wasn't very good so i haven't tried particularly hard you know but uh there's some amazing christmas specials that are uh muppet family christmas muppet family christmas is the best christmas movie i will go on the record it's the second best christmas movie but but i agree it's really good hey what's what's the first 
uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. They're both Muppet <laughs> movies, so it doesn't matter. I, I approve of both. I I have really strong memories of the uh, Muppet Frog Prince, mm-hmm. which is I think like a made-for-TV piece. I remember that being really good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, just again to pull back the curtain on this uh, podcast of yours. We're going to record two episodes, and now I've already decided that I'm just going to turn that one into a Muppet. <laughs> <as well. laughs> oh, God, that's a good oh, one for it, too. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Um, well, uh, uh, neither of you have read uh, Herman Melville's The Confidence Man, uh, correct? No. Okay. I have not, no. All right. It's uh, his 1857 novel. It's his last novel. Hmm. And, like, uh, it's very funny. Like, uh, very funny. Uh, most of the time I think like, oh yes, and then he died. It's like, no, he lived for like decades and decades after that. This was the one that like cratered his literary career, essentially. <laughs> there was at least one review of the book that was like, I, I think the the lead on the article was Herman Melville Insane. Because <laughs> it is it is a very weird book. Uh, and it's, it's just like, uh, it takes place on a, a steamboat, I think, on the Mississippi. Uh, and it's just like, different scenes of people interacting on the steamboat. And sometimes there's this like central figure who's like maybe the devil, Mm -hmm. uh, which is why I'm thinking about this in reference Mm, uh, to dead souls, because like it it has that quality of being like, like how much of this am I supposed to take seriously? Uh, Like what's satire? What's just like, what's description that he would think is totally normal, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, it has that, that quality. It's also, I think it, it needs a lot of annotations, but it is also funny. Um, uh, it's funny also that actually another connection, like you said, Vin, is that just as Dead Souls ended Gogol's career uh, by him dying and burning a bunch of it, mm-hmm. wasn't the story that he like, uh, I, I, I seem to recall that he had a uh, deathbed conversion uh, or deathbed, uh, what's the word? I don't know, getting serious about his soul. And that's what led him to burn some of his works. Uh, but I could be misremembering. Uh, yes. I don't know. But yes, both books uh, ended their author's careers uh, in a way. Could we say that this killed him? No, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think we can safely say that. Yeah. yeah. Just like in the middle of a sentence. And that's when he... That deathbed conversion thing, that sounds fishy as hell to me. <laughs> Doesn't it? It's like, oh yeah, he saw religion and he burned a bunch of stuff <laughs> that he didn't like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody close to him burned a bunch of his shit. Yeah. And 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 he said I was his favorite son. Uh <laughs> yeah, that's just what he said. I don't know. Yeah, just it. Yeah. Um actually it does look like he like took in with some sort of spiritual leader <laughs> and like essentially began to believe that his his writing was sinful and uh, also took up some like ascetic health practices that oh. probably did not help his longevity. Right. Yes. A lot of like uh, cold winter baths in, in Russia, et cetera. Uh, only eating food uh, of a certain color. Mm. You know. Oh, uh, well. Uh, do, do either of you have any thoughts about the cover? Hmm. Like, it's always interesting to me, these, like, uh, public domain works uh, that get translated, and especially also, there are some translations that are in the public domain, and anyone can slap this up on Amazon if they want. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this has a nice 
Uh, is this your book then? Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is a Penguin Classic cover, you know, so they're going to pick a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind of know. I, I, I can't quite figure out what's going on. It looks like there's a parade and also maybe a bunch of cripples and beggars in the parade. Mm-hmm. Feels like it should mean something, but I don't know what it means. Yeah. And kind of like this, this first page. I don't recognize any of the characters from the first page. <laughs> <laughs> Except maybe there's some Russian peasants in there. So, you know. I don't recognize the completely unremarkable man who doesn't look like anything. <laughs> yeah, or the or the busy, fuzzy-faced waiter, you know? <laughs> all I, Weird. All I know is that if you start at this parade, it will take you a long time to get to Kazan. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, any any final thoughts on the, the first page? I think we all liked it. Is that the consensus? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Trying to think if there's anything that jumped out at me that I haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, I do like, um, I am a fan of this kind of comical run-on sentence that Gogol likes to dwell in. Like, the first sentence of this is, a small, rather smart, well-sprung four-wheeled carriage with a folding top <laughs> drove through the gates of an inn of mm-hmm. the provincial town of N, semicolon, it was the sort of carriage bachelors usually drive in, colon, retired lieutenant colonels, majors, and landowners with about 100 <laughs> serfs, Dash, in short, all those who are described as gentlemen of the middling station of life. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. And it really sets the expectation that he's going to be highly descriptive going forward. <laughs> and then he proceeds to non-describe most of the characters, which, mm-hmm. is, uh, which is wonderful. Yeah. Oh, I do like... Okay, there's one thing that I, I forgot to mention. Is that he, like, if, if he was a student at an MFA workshop these days... Um, or especially a couple of years ago, he would get a lot of like, like you have to, you have to show, don't tell everything. But I, I do like how he just like tells a bunch of stuff, including at the, the peasants at the end, like, uh, we, we get the sentence that was the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very funny to me. Cause like, I, again, perhaps I've been poisoned by film and cannot stop thinking in, in, in filmic metaphors. But like, if you imagine the camera moving off of these people. You know, like maybe there's fan fiction where they're continuing to talk about things and they have a rich internal life mm-hmm. uh, and are raising a child together. Uh, but like Gogol's like, no, nothing happened. <laughs> like as soon as we turn away, that part of the world stops existing. Like it's just a very funny, definitive uh, statement about what's important to look at. Yeah. And then, of course, he gives us nothing else important to look at. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I love it. I think it's. Yeah. Like if this was a if this was on film it would be rather than just cutting away to the next scene, just giving them like two or three beats too long to stand there not having any more conversation. I love it. Yeah, there's a scene, there's a cut scene from the movie Wet Hot American Summer, if you're familiar, (laughs) uh, which is a hilarious movie spoof on summer camps. And the cut scene is literally that. It's like, in the movie, someone steals this couple's motorcycle and they drive off. But the cutscene is the camera staying on the couple and them lamenting the fact that their motorcycle has been stolen and talking about how it's going to ruin their life. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're two, like, bit side characters that you never see before and you never <laughs> see again. So the fact that the camera would linger on them is, uh, is just the best. And uh, I like to imagine that with these Russian peasants. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, 
they would just stand there awkwardly as the camera stays on them because their conversation is over. Also, it's that, you know, that King of the Hill thing where like they have a conversation about the thing they're looking at and then just go. Yep. 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 Mm -hmm. Very real Texas thing. (laughs) And then and then you see uh, Elijah Wood scootering down the the road. (laughs) Um, Gosh, we've only mentioned films that have not done well uh, on their original release. Oh. Yeah, like the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> uh, Could have done better. Yeah. <laughs> if, if they'd only put in more uh, Silmarillion stuff. And on that note, uh, Roy, where can the people find you? Yeah, uh, the best place, I mean, the thing most worth promoting, I think, is go to hideouttheater.com. It's the improv theater that I'm a co-owner and the artistic director of. It's in downtown Austin. Uh, and then also I have an improv troupe called Parallelogramma Phonograph, and you can find our website at pgraph.com. Uh, and we have a book you can buy if you want to learn how to do narrative improv. <laughs> For thoughts on Muppets, uh, you can listen to uh, my Muppet podcast, which I haven't started yet, but I'm going to record the first episode <laughs> of immediately following this engagement. So uh, we'll just say it's going to be called Roy Talks About Muppets, uh, which, uh, you know, so look for it wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Finn LeBate. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity, and you can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io. And I've been your other host, Ben Blattberg. You can find me on Twitter at Incatastrophe. For show updates, corrections, and occasional bouts of actual research, subscribe to our monthly newsletter at monthly.darknightsreads.com. For everything else, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com, and we'll meet you back here next time, weather permitting.